You're listening to The Tilt Show. Tech in Latam today. The show that tilts Latin American tech to the next level. Next level. From the hottest startups to established businesses and the most up-to-date tips and tricks that surround all aspects of running and operating a tech business today. Here's your host, Neil Siskins. Today I'm talking to Martin Ward of Yasta App. Yasta is a peer-to-peer marketplace based in Ecuador. I'm talking to Martin about the COVID crisis, about how he launched his business, about the UK, a little bit about biggest city or the second biggest city, I would say, in Ecuador, which is Guayaquil on the coast. Very beautiful, very warm, very tropical. And we're discussing about the future of business as well as should you raise money or should you bootstrap? So without further ado, listen to the interview of Martin Ward. So welcome, Martin. I understand you came to Ecuador a few years ago. Can you just tell me a little bit more about like why you chose Ecuador and uh, how you ended up in uh, Guayaquil? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Nils, for having me. Effectively, you know, my co-founder is half Ecuadorian, half Scottish, and we met while I was at university in Edinburgh and kind of talked a lot about, you know, the emerging economies around the world and what they're trying to build in terms of technological kind of services or businesses, right? And I was saying, like in Indonesia, for instance, you know, about ten years ago, it was still very you know, it's in its infancy for technology. And there was a company called Gojek that started building an app for ride hailing for motorbikes. Fast forward 10 years later, now they're, you know, a $20 billion company and they've just built into everything. They've become a super app, if you will, which caters to everyone's kind of demands, whatever they need, they can get from this app. And when I was telling my co-founder this, he was just like, well, actually, you know, Ecuador sounds like that about 10 years behind Indonesia, if that makes sense. So actually probably coming now is the best time to try and ride that wave before everyone else comes. And, you know, that's how, how we kind of started kicking around the idea back in the UK before we sold everything we had, gave it all up to come here and try and pursue this passion, right? So I understand that. So what are some of the advantages that you see of actually being in Ecuador versus, for example, being in Silicon Valley close to the money and actually being, you know, on the ground? Uh, what are some of these advantages you see there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why we kind of left everything and just came here because we think, you know, especially in developing countries, the, the ecosystem's not there. The culture is not there. You have to be on the ground and understand what's going on. You have to experience it for yourself and learn as quick as possible about how the business landscape is, how you do certain things, what's the laws. It's, you know, it's things impossible to do unless you're on the ground. We chose Ecuador just because, you know, this is where no one else is at the minute. Like we, in our space for an all-in-one super app, we're the only ones here. We've got some local competitors in certain categories, but even those are just starting out, right? So you're kind of all starting at the same finish uh, starting line. I mean, if you go to Silicon Valley, you've got massive competition. You've got all the big tech firms that already have the money, already have the people. You're competing on a different level at that point. And so, you know, we think actually come to a developing country, build our brand here and become kind of the local champion before we start expanding into the other Latin American countries. Got it. So what are some of the opportunities you see and, and what's something that Yasta is currently focusing on? So Yasta is your app that you've built with your co-founder. 
what's sort of the market that you guys focus on? Yeah, so Yast is, is a mobile app that effectively wants to become your daily kind of scheduling for your life. You know, it wants to connect the supply to the demand here in Ecuador in terms of linking all the providers to consumers because the biggest thing that's kind of missing here in Ecuador is, is this whole level of digital management, if you will. You know, a lot of businesses here, unless you're the, one of the big kind of old industrial businesses, they don't really have any kind of digital presence at all. They try and get their customers through Instagram. They try and, you know, it's all word of mouth. So actually, Yasta comes in and says, listen, guys, we actually have a digital platform for you. It's completely free for providers. You know, you can manage all your customers. You can chat to the customers. You can, you know, adjust your prices, everything you need and see all your sales within this app. And it's all free. And, you know, we're trying to connect effectively those businesses to consumers and help them and promote them to grow. Because actually, if all these businesses grow, we as a company grow. And I think that's the, that's the market we're looking at because technological adoption here in Ecuador and the smartphone penetration in particular is growing rapidly, right? I mean, people are having, you know, no one really in the houses here in the lower classes anyways has direct internet. It's all just via mobile internet. And I think I've seen that in quite a few developing countries where they just leapfrog over the whole landline internet, if you will, like fiber and just go straight to 4G, obviously 5G. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I know Colombia best. I mean, I think the countries are very similar in a sense. Uh, lower class usually doesn't have fiber optics in their house because, I mean, it's way more expensive also than you would see the same line in Europe or in the US. So it, it's cost prohibitive. And then I would say the main advantage of going mobile for you is that, I mean, not a lot of people seem to have thought of that, right? I mean, that's what I hear from you. Yeah, exactly. So so what are some of the, I mean, I would say one of the struggles that I have in my business is, first of all, access to capital. I mean, it's very hard to get a bank loan or to get investors. Is that something that you find there as well? What What are some of the other struggles that you have in Ecuador that you wouldn't have in, <laughs> in, in, in Silicon Valley or in Europe? Of course. I mean, here, you know, like any developing country, the, the, biggest struggle i think is what you've just mentioned you know the market and the culture here is still kind of at the stage of infancy regarding startups the ecosystem isn't there it's not really developed enough to support entrepreneurs i mean you know for instance locally here in ecuador one of the guys i know who started a point of sale system he got into y combinator in california and and now he lives in mexico for instance he's, he's not come back to ecuador another guy who's Ecuadorian, he built a company and got an accelerator grant from Chile, from the government in Chile. So, you know, he's not here anymore. It's like they're all looking elsewhere. They're all looking outside of the country. And I think that's a big, you know, that's a big market that governments, especially Ecuador, should be looking at and saying, well, actually, if we start nurturing these guys and, you know, supporting them, we'll reap all the benefits. Why are we sending all these guys with innovative technologies to other countries and helping those countries instead of our own? And I think, you know, that's one of the biggest issues that we face here is there's just no support network. I mean, I'm trying to build a local entrepreneur group here that we can kind of share ideas and share any solutions we have to obstacles that we might have in common. It's just, you know, it, it's such a difficult place to start up, I guess. But if you can get past that, then you've effectively created that whole barrier of entry, right? Anyone else that's trying to come in. They have to go through all of that. They have to experience all that. So actually, you've built a nice kind of wall that says, right, this is my market. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely see 
what you're seeing. I mean, we're in a neighboring country that I would say is very similar. One thing that I would assume is kind of easier in Ecuador is that you guys use dollars, right? I mean, is that like, I mean, are you able to, for example, use a, I mean, you can have a dollar denominated bank account and you can actually charge people in dollars. Is that a huge advantage, do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is the the crazy thing, right? Like the U.S. changed to completely their currency into the U.S. dollars. And so I think that creates a big advantage for Ecuador in terms of foreign investment, right? If anyone's investing in U.S. dollars, the exchange rate risk is completely negated because it's just U.S. dollar to U.S. dollar. I mean, any money I have here in, in Ecuador, when I go to the States, I just carry that cash and I can still use it. It's legal tender. So I think it creates a very big opportunity that, I don't think a lot of the world really understands how, how good of an opportunity that is because having that one-to-one -one ratio means that, you know, people in the U.S. could invest in here without any kind of risk of, you know, the currency collapsing or any of those that you would normally find in developing countries, right? Um, I mean, that's a huge risk my investors see. Like, I mean, the investors I'm talking with always tell that thing. Like, I mean... Colombia is using pesos. It's, you know, its exchange rate is is volatile. I mean, how are we ever going to get our, you know, hard currency back? So I, I would say that you did a good job in going to Guayaquil instead of starting in Colombia. I mean, you had several factors. Your, you know, your co-founder was, is also half Ecuadorian. So I would assume that, you know, that played part as well. But I would say, look, has it that you're actually in Ecuador for that reason, like any sort of you know, investment you get in there actually comes back in dollars. So I would say that that's a huge advantage, right? So let, let's let's focus a little bit on what it is that Yasta is actually doing, because I mean, I have a little bit, you know, I, I researched it a little bit. You were saying like you provide services to providers. What are some of your provider categories that you're working with? Yeah, sure. So Yasta's app pretty much has four categories. We have transportation and the motorcycle taxis. We have events. So any kind of events that anyone wants to put up, like seminars, concerts, you know, any of those types of things, they can sell through our app, uh, through a whole QR code system. We have restaurant reservations like open table. So anyone can just reserve a table at a restaurant here. And then we have the services category, which is our most, I think, varied category because you can find anything from you know a technician for a refrigerator to a stylist or makeup artist right so everything is on there as a consumer you just literally need to pick what you want pick what time you want confirm the appointment pay whether in card or cash and at that point it'll be sorted for you so i mean how does yasta plan to compete against uber against taxify on on the one hand um, you have, for example, in the U.S., you have um, an app called Handy. Uh, they are more like what you describe, like the handyman kind of services. How do you plan to compete with apps that are very specific in that niche category? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of apps out there that kind of run in the different areas of our categories uh, and specifically in those categories. But I think we want to move this whole culture of having multiple different apps on your phone, taking up valuable space and storage on your phone and actually just move to one single entity where I don't want to go through multiple folders in my phone or, you know, go to the travel folder, or go to the 
transport folder, whatever it is to book my life. I just want to go to one thing, have my card already attached to that and just do everything from there. And I think that's what we're trying to sell. And, you know, especially for Uber, for instance, I've seen Uber lose out in Southeast Asia due to local competition because actually Uber tried to, I guess, like many companies, over their business model, overlay their culture into certain areas when they actually don't understand the local culture at all. And that's what we're trying to compete with in terms of the transport, right? Because here there's loads of guys with motorbikes because cars here are still ridiculously expensive. I mean, you know, the cheapest 10-year-old car you can get is still like five grand or whatever in US dollars. It's, it's a market that's very expensive for cars. So you have loads of motorbikes. And actually all these motorbikes are now working for a lot of firms like Glovo, Rappi, whatever it is. But they're also trying to get into every single market they can because they want to get as many jobs as they can. So if we can offer this alternative to, to Uber, for instance, in transport at a much cheaper price, especially for the lower demographic, like the lower class demographic here, then that's where we have our advantage. All right. So you're planning on competing with Uber and you mentioned Rappi as well. I would say Rappi is sort of the deliver it all delivery app is like, and they have deep pockets and they know the market well. So how are you planning on, you know, sort of positioning uh, Yasta in comparison to to Rappi? I would say that's that's a major challenge for you, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Rappi's recently come in, I think about four to five months ago into Ecuador. They spent a lot of money on a lot of campaigns, marketing campaigns here. And, you know, that's a big thing with a lot of these companies, right? They get a lot of funding and they just splash the cash to try and get as much brand awareness as possible. But the thing with Rappi is, and I think like many other delivery companies like that, they, you know, they, they it costs money for the delivery, but they also take a commission off of a lot of the restaurants. So I've heard of stuff where, you know, up to 30% commission on restaurants. And in this day and age, like right now in the situation, these restaurants can't take that. They can't accept that. So right now we're working with another partner on looking at, okay, how do we help these restaurants self-deliver using our logistics system, which we already have all these taxi motor drivers that, you know, they're currently just transporting people, but actually they can also transport food. It's not difficult to do that. It's not a bad pivot and we don't take any commission, right? So that helps a lot of these restaurants kind of go, well, actually, why am I giving all this commission on my products and my margin to delivery companies when there's this other company coming by saying, we'll just deliver it for you and just take the delivery fee? Yeah, I, I hear you. So what you're trying to do is compete on price with Rappi, because especially since the uh, coronavirus or the corona crisis, you would say restaurants are struggling and they just can't, you know, flesh out 30% or 20% of their of their sales basically to a uh, to an app, right? So, so what kind of percentage is uh, Yalsa planning on taking from restaurants? So Yalsa wouldn't take any percentage. So it would just be on the fare that we provide through our taxi motor service. So right now, I believe zero to three kilometers is a dollar for transporting something through our network. And then for every kilometer over that is 20 cents, right? So that becomes a lot more cheaper for these guys especially if they're delivering locally. We won't take any commission off any of their products or any of that. It's just all delivery focused. So that's interesting. So hold on a minute. So you're planning on taking $1 for pretty much every ride that's under three kilometers. How big is that market? Like if I were to invest in Yasa, what would be sort of like the total market for Ecuador or the total market for Latin America, because I mean, I would assume, except for the uh, for the currency, 
Colombia, Panama. Well, Panama has dollars, but Peru, maybe even Bolivia are quite homogeneous, right? I mean, they all speak Spanish. What sort of the market? Have you done market research on that? So, I mean, currently in Ecuador, we have a population of about 15 million, and the two biggest cities are Quito and Guayaquil, which we're now already starting to boost in Quito, and we've developed our original market in Guayaquil, which each both have about 2 million people each. And, you know, we've we kind of launched in January, and to this day, we've got about 1,000-plus people registered now on our, on our app. Obviously, COVID stalled that a little bit, but I think we're, we're starting to see an uptick again. Overall, though, you know, why Latin America is such a good market is the fact that, you know, everyone in Latin America besides Brazil speaks Spanish, right? And that population is about 400 million people. It's a massive market to capture. Obviously, there's the currency change differences. But actually, like you said, the culture, the demographics are very much similar between each of the Latin American countries, especially the ones on the mainland, you know, like Colombia, Peru, Chile, Ecuador. So... A lot of these markets are accelerating their tech adoption. Mexico, for instance, you know, they're a big kind of tech hub right now in Latin America. We've got Colombia, as you know. Um, you got Rappi from there. You had Despegar, you had Mercado Libre, you had all those guys. Chile, you know, there's a lot of talk about Chile being Chilicon Valley, for instance. You've got Uruguay with a lot of the tech nearshore going there. So it's actually a massive market. And you know, with one switch of a button, if you create your app to be able to do Portuguese as well, you get another 200 million people from Brazil, right? So it's actually a really good market to try and capture. And so what percentage of those 400 million actually, you know, need home delivery frequently? Like you're planning on capturing sort of the, well, the motorcycle taxi app business with connecting that with the sort of delivery sort of delivery system so what you're planning on do is kind of interesting like you're saying we're going to be on the one hand we're going to compete with Rappi where we're not going to take a percentage of restaurants so restaurants with us could sign up for free so you would assume it's it's very attractive for restaurants and then where the market is you're going to build a network of taxis or taxi motorcycles which there are a lot, by the way, and you're planning on getting so many that it will be attractive for, well, the restaurants won't have any cost, and the, uh, well, basically the motorcycle network will be the, the biggest, and, and because of the economies of scale, will also be the cheapest. Is that how I sort of see your, your plan on capturing this market? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, for our taxi motor drivers, I can't speak for the, the other companies, but we try and give as much as possible. So right now, the current split for commissions on deliveries on, you know, passengers or whatever it is, is 90-10. So they take 90% and we take 10. So you're really planning on capturing the mass market by, by keeping as frugal as possible, like taking as little as possible from these guys. Exactly. So how are you planning on, like, you know, getting a return on your marketing? Are you assuming, I mean, this seems to be the assumption that word of mouth will go so quickly because these taxis can make a lot more money as well as the restaurants will go on there because it's free for them, basically, right? So how are you planning on sort of, like, capturing this market? I mean, it seems like you want to go, like, in on the lowest part of the market. And making sure that, you know, I mean, 
you need to compete with the big guys. So how are you kept planning on capturing this market? Are you still going to do advertisement or is it word of mouth for the most part? Yeah. So, I mean, we're obviously a volume-based business, right? Because everything we take in is small margins, small numbers. But actually, you multiply that against the numbers we were discussing earlier, you know, in the millions and millions, then it becomes a big number. Obviously, so far, the way we've managed to gain our following and our registered users is through social media advertising, word of mouth, local radio stations. There's a lot of kind of up-and-coming radio stations that want to get some sort of content. So, you know, there's a lot of these in any country, I guess, if, if, as long as you can provide content and they've got a viewership, you, you can get on these for free and they, they'll broadcast you. So, you know, we've only spent, like, I think, right now about $500 for instance on social media advertising and the return on that has been quite big I've heard some guys here they're like oh I've already spent thousands of dollars on marketing and it's just not hitting correctly and they're not getting the, the return they want you have to understand the local culture you have to understand what people are looking for and you know it's all about experimenting which is why being on the ground understanding the culture understanding the the language and the the way people think here is is paramount to starting a business in Latin America. I totally understand that. So so let's, you know, do the quick calculation because I mean, this is my other question. Are you sort of, you know, looking for VC money and do an exit in a few years? And if so, you need to show them like you need to show a VC firm usually that this is where it, you know, best scenario, like billions and billions of dollars, right? So how are you sort of planning on financing growth? Are you looking for VCs or are you trying to bootstrap this or what's your bigger plan? Because I would say the 400 million people sort of stuck, right? And I would say, you know, you won't capture 100% of the market, right? So never calculate it like that. I mean, in my opinion, but I would say if I look at Colombia and actually I've been to Guayaquil and, and you use, you know, apps there as well. I would say that the majority of the people, as you said, actually have a smartphone. So I would say 80% have a smartphone. And I would say of those 80%, I would say at least 75% use a Rappi or some sort of delivery app. You know, maybe they hire one of these uh, like quick step on, well, uh, one foot sort of bikes that you have everywhere in Latin America these days. So how how did you calculate the market size in terms of dollars? Because the VCs would only be interested in, okay, I'm going to go to Martin. I'm investing $5 million. I need to get back at least 50 million. And maybe if I do really well, have a, have a billion, right? So how did you sort of calculate that money? And is that in, indeed your plan? Yeah. So, I mean, originally we, when we came here, we, we bootstrapped everything. So we built uh, an MVP based on our own savings everything was built, the model was built on that in terms of, I had no, in my head at the time, I had no inclination about, okay, let's get VC money and then we can just throw it all into marketing and boost as fast as possible. It was all about build, building something sustainable from the ground up, you know, building a fundamentals that are correct that actually build us some cash flow to keep us going and growing steadily and slowly, but at least, you know, we're, we're making money. Obviously at this point now, based on everything that's happened so far, we're like, okay, so now we've got this better version from an angel investor where we made some money to build our uh, the app that we want, which is the one we currently have. We need to grow fast. We want to get as much you know, brand awareness, as many people on board as possible because we are a volume-based business. 
So now the biggest hoop, if you will, as we discussed, is trying to find that investment, right? Because the local ecosystem here doesn't have that. I have to look elsewhere. I have to look outside of Ecuador, sometimes outside of Latin America itself to try and find investment to say, listen, guys, there's a big market here. It's currently locked. I need money to unlock it because if we can unlock it, you know, 400 million people is a big thing. Obviously, you're not going to get 100%. You're not going to get 50%. You won't even get 10%, but you know, even 1% of 400 million is still a lot of people. And if that many people are using that, you know, what is that? 4 million people are using that. And for every service they book, we also take a dollar. So that's the service booking fee. You know, that's still $4 million every time they make a booking. <laughs> like, so there's definitely money to be made. It's just, we need to capture that market as fast as possible. And the way to capture that is with cash, which is what we're looking for at the minute. I would say conservatively, we can assume, I mean, I would say if you're, you know, successful, you're going to capture 10% of that market. So that's like, I mean, if conservatively, I would say 1%, so that's 4 million people that probably do 50 to 100 bookings per year, right? That's very conservatively, I would say. I'm a really big user of Rappi, really known for that as well. Rappi's really feeling it at the moment, and I'm not in Colombia. You will see it in their uh, in their revenue for sure. Um, so I will also be a big user of Yasta, most likely. So, you know, calculating that sort of like very conservatively, you're looking at 100 to $400 million every year in just that $1 booking fee. Is that exactly. what you're shooting for? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... If we're talking outside of the taxi motor element, everything is just the $1 booking fee for everything, for event tickets, for reservations, for services. Yeah, so I, I, I actually think that, um, you know, that's quite a significant market. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely worth it for a VC firm, right? I mean, you're looking at a unicorn almost, right? Like uh, the way I calculate a business is like sort of you take the profit. Now the profit won't be four hundred million, but you're looking at you know maybe fifty to a hundred million dollars a year in profit, and you take that depends on the industry, but let's say times four. So you're looking at value of four hundred five hundred million dollars just because of this one uh, little dollar that you're taking every time somebody books this app, right? And the way that Robbie captured this market is they did a very smart like. They charge a, a fee for every delivery, right? And what they did is they got it through a subscription service, right? So the way I, you know, I'm like a Rappi, I think they're called Rappi Prime. And you pay, I don't even know it, like $10 or $15 a month. And you get whatever you want to deliver for free every month. So you can get as many restaurants as many. And I would say that that's smart of them. But that's an issue for you. How do you see that? Is Rappi doing the same thing in Ecuador? Because the issue would be that people can get a delivery for free from a competitor, Rappi, and that competitor still gets paid the 30% that you just said to a restaurant. So how do you overcome that hurdle? Yeah, so Rappi does uh, Rappi Prime here as well. And it, it is smart of them because obviously they're securing kind of a better future forecast right they go okay we got all these people subscribed so we're going to assume that at least we're going to get that next month at least we're going to get the next month etc etc but the problem is i think what i've seen with rabbi prime i did try at one point is there's still a minimum you know so like people still have to order a minimum amount of stuff and i think that's that's a detriment to a lot of things right because 
sometimes you just want a small thing, a small item, and they won't even deliver it unless you pay for it. And then you've paid the delivery plus the Prime membership. So it's just like it, it becomes one of those things where is it actually worth it? Unless you're a power user, uh, which I assume you are, Nils, uh, then it, it's not worth it. And I'm trying to cater the market that isn't those power users, right? Because a lot of the power users for Rappi, they're actually quite middle class, well off, because not everyone orders food every day is too expensive. So I think, you know, the market there, the demographic is different between us. I have to say, I'm not a typical user because I use Rappi for my business or the office imagine to get, you know, anything from like water for my developers or, you know, when we have the Friday meetings, we usually have a, a beer. So, yeah, I mean, th that all adds to my Rappi needs sort of, right? And it's also because we don't really plan it, but I see Colombians, you know, typical Colombian family, we use it you know, on a Friday when they're, you know, off work and they're just home and, you know, it's raining, then they would use a Rappi. So I'm definitely not a typical user, but I mean, it's just an indication of the needs definitely there. And uh, I would say the uh, the 1% of Colombians or the 1% of Ecuadorians are not your typical users, right? Exactly. Um, so, by the way, uh, when you were answering like the last couple of questions, we hear the... Um, quite a few tropical birds that were trying to uh, interrupt us a little bit. So that just indicates that Guayaquil is, uh, well, quite a tropical uh, city, I would say. And um, yeah, I mean, that's also something that we have to keep in mind in, in, in Latin America. You were mentioning that it's quite homogeneous, and, and it is. But landscape-wise, it's quite varied, right? So do you think that your app would work as well in you know, in a hilly country or hilly city, like, you know, I, I think Quito is quite up in the mountains and Bogota is and, and Medellin is. Is that still a barrier to entry for many, you know, of these apps? Do you see that as well as a problem or is that not really an, an issue? Um, I don't actually see it for us anyways. The, the only thing I can see as a kind of like a, difference between especially Guayaquil and Quito is the, the atmosphere and the temperature um, and also there's a lot more rain in Quito so you know if you're a taxi moto driver trying to transport passengers and there's a lot of rain it's probably not the most ideal so that's kind of one of the barriers that we find in Quito but actually the majority of the, the kind of like the usage the culture is very similar Cuenca as well here I don't know if you've heard of Cuenca it's I've been to Cuenca yes correct It's very much like a Spanish city, I would say. You know, it's a World Heritage Site listed as probably one of the top uh, retiree destinations. So actually, the climate is very good in all these places. And I'm currently actually not in Guayaquil. I'm in Montanita, which is a beach resort area, I'm trying to hide away from all the, the coronavirus stuff. But even here, I'm seeing the market here and kind of going, well, actually, a lot of these restaurants are in the main kind of city bit, kind of like in the, the center. They need something to deliver stuff to all the people living in the outer suburbs if you will and actually you know almost everywhere has that kind of model i believe in ecuador anyways i don't know about your your experiences with colombia i would say the biggest cities have apps uh, so medellin bogota barranquilla uh, to an extent cali they have the apps if you come outside of the bigger cities what i've seen is that deliveries 
uh, you know, supermarkets, restaurants just happen very traditionally by phone. Mm-hmm. And you will either have a motorbike going to your house or sometimes like these motor, well, they call them motor taxis. I think most of the world actually knows them as tuk-tuks. Um, so, yeah, so that's very traditional, right? So you see a, a huge difference between your sort of sort of options if you live in Medellin or if you're in like one of the villages surrounding Medellin your options get seriously limited uh, if you're in like rural areas and even in a semi big city like Santa Marta for example which is on the coast I would say it's similar to where you're at at the moment I mean your options are just way more limited than in the bigger cities exactly And I would say that's something to keep in mind, like either with your model, you could potentially capture that market quicker um, and and have, you know, motor taxis capture a bigger market than the Rappies and the other apps currently do because of the model that you envision. Like mm-hmm. the, the Rappie is just too expensive for a local restaurant. They'd rather give their phone number or they rather give, you know, even like a WhatsApp to the people that want to order there. Um, so I think definitely you have a, a good marketing in market idea. So my question around that is, is Guayaquil really the best place to go? I mean, for people that don't know it, you said it has around 2 million people mm-hmm. living there. I've actually been there once on a motorbike, uh, quite interestingly. <laughs> yeah, so... It is tropical. It's surrounded by banana, uh, bananas and more bananas. And uh, maybe sometimes you see, you know, uh, pineapple or something else, but it's it's really tropical, flat area. Is it like up and coming in terms of technology? Do you find like good designers there, good developers there, or is it really a struggle? Yeah. So, I mean, Guayaquil in particular, it's just the city I've lived in, so I know best they are the kind of the heart of the industrial business here, right? In Ecuador. I mean, they're all very much still old industries, you know, fishing, oil, agriculture, it's all that. But with that, obviously they, they have money. Like Guayaquil is probably one of the richest cities in Ecuador. Quito is kind of where the government holds power and sits there, but actually all the businesses in Guayaquil. And with that, I mean, with many developing countries, it's the same kind of cycle, right? You have this, level of wealth increasing, more disposable income increasing, then the next generation starts to take up, you know, jobs that are more uh, white collar, if you will, in terms of different things, not just the most basic stuff, they become designers, they become coders. So it's kind of creating that that generation of people that are actually more tech aware, more innovative, if you will. And with more money in the system, more people that are in these kinds of jobs, you're creating that kind of environment that you want that's right perfect for you know someone like us our app to to be involved with and i'm seeing that right now in guayaquil i'm seeing that kind of rapidly increasing obviously a lot of these guys are now kind of like a bit stalled because no one's really investing any money and you know companies don't want new brands for instance companies don't want new menus but back then prior to covid you know a lot of these different restaurants a lot of these different businesses were hiring a lot of local designers, local digital marketing agencies to sort out all their digital needs. So, you know, it was growing quite fast. All right. So, yeah, I mean, COVID kind of stopped the world in its tracks. That's everywhere. That's where I'm currently in Europe. 
that's also the case in the US. But yeah, I mean, you were really seeing traction in Guayaquil uh, before all this happened, right? Before sort of the middle of March, things were starting to ramp up. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. So you're saying Guayaquil is a typical industry city. You're saying it's changing, the mentality is changing. Do you see like uh, what I, I've seen in, in Medellin over the last six years is that, you know, the community, I mean, you were describing that everything is still in its infancy, right? So do you see a lot of traction? Are more digital nomads coming? Are like people starting to work? Uh, as developers, even if they come from Europe, is, uh, do you see those people coming to Guayaquil as well, or is it still very much like ignored Guayaquil in that sense? Oh yeah, I mean, not particularly in Guayaquil for digital nomads. I mean, I guess if you're a digital nomad working on projects or on different things outside of of Latin America, you, you probably choose better places to live, right? So, for instance, as I mentioned, I'm here in Montanita, which is like a bit beach city, a lot of good surf a lot of digital nomads around here that, you know, their whole Bible is the four hour work week, right? That book where they're literally doing jobs for either designing or coding, but they're all living on the beach, going surfing every day and working on their projects at night, you know, and I've met a few people that live here and it's much cheaper than Guayaquil, obviously. And I guess those types of people would be here, but the rest of the people that are looking to start up businesses, like big businesses locally anyways, are in Guayaquil or in Quito. I would say, I mean, it's an ideal lifestyle for many, many, many people, right? And uh, if you're like contracted by somebody in the US or some company in Europe, then, you know, you make good money, you can work part-time or you can still work full-time and you probably make more money than you're able to to spend in those places, right? Uh, I've actually spent a few months doing that and uh i mean the only problem that i always had is that the fun was starting to take over quicker than the work was kind of right so uh and then at some point you kind of don't have to work anymore and that's the only disadvantage that most people uh actually ignore right in these kind of uh places i mean in my opinion and and how is that with the uh with the heat i mean uh working in the heat is just incredibly different difficult right that's what most people in terms of digital nomad actually kind of forget right i mean it's easy to think about like hey look i can serve in the morning swim in the afternoon and work at night right and uh still i'm going out for dinner and stuff like that and then you just start to realize like okay well i can only work maybe two three hours a day right how's that in those kind of beach places i would say the more beachy it looks, the harder it is to work. I mean, I would say if you wanted to do digital nomad, go to Cuenca in Ecuador, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I guess, you know, a lot of people that choose that lifestyle, they, they have to be very disciplined because, of course, it's cheaper lifestyle. The expenditure is not as much as you would in Europe. But again, like you said, it's very hard to look out the window, see the nice ocean in the beach and go, mm, I think I'll work later on. <laughs> And I think it's it's a balanced lifestyle that needs to be, you know, very, for someone that's very focused, someone that can actually manage their time well. But like like you said, you know, Cuencas, Quitos uh, are probably better for the people to focus a bit more, um, especially if they're kind of wanting to build something bigger than just, you know, actually I'm going to spend a year out here in Latin America and just chill out and survive through my, my projects, you know. <laughs> 
So Martin, thank you for this uh, interview. Very insightful in Yasta, first of all, and also in the market in Ecuador. If people wanted to reach you, either to know more about Yasta, know more about your plans, maybe you know, and take you inside their investment portfolio, where would they need to go? Where can they reach you? Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for having me, Mills. It's been a pleasure. Um, if they want to get in touch with us, want to understand more about Yasta, they can email me uh, directly at martin at yasta.app. And if they want to find out more about the app, they can just go to our website, www.yasta.app. All right, Martin. Martin, thank you very much for this episode. If you wanted to hear more about where Martin's going in terms of his business, where he's currently at, uh, go over to our website, tilt.show, and we will update the show notes accordingly. So again, thank you, Martin. And uh, well, go over to our website if you want to know more.